Welcome to Alpha Omega International, and thank you for joining us once again for our portraits series. In this series, we've been looking at portraits of Christ in the Old Testament. And we're going to do this uh, by looking at him in three ways in the Old Testament. We're going to look at pictures, at prophecy, and at poetry that speaks of him and his cross. And even eventually, we'll talk about his second coming as well. But today is part four, and we're looking at, once again, a picture of Jesus. And we're going to look at uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 21. And we're also going to see what Jesus says about this story today in John, chapter 3, in his discussion with Nicodemus. So in this sermon titled, Look and Live, will you now turn your Bibles to the book of Numbers? As always, the verses will be provided on the screen as well. Let's begin by reading Numbers chapter 21 at verse 4, and then we'll go into John chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. All right, so let's begin with our reading from verse 4 of chapter 21. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the, the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now let's look at John chapter 3. Again, in Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus, he says in verse 13, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen. So as we see this story from the book of Numbers, Jesus points directly to it and he, and he shows the parallel between that bronze serpent and himself on the cross. As we read in Numbers chapter 21, we see that the Israelites, this is about 40 years now after the Passover and that mass exodus out of Egypt, they're now in the wilderness and they've been there for about 40 years. And God has been leading them, guiding them through, providing for their every need. But now they have become discouraged. And we can relate to that. We know what it's like to be discouraged. But it was more than that. Their discouragement became resentment toward God. They complained. They complained of, uh, against Moses and probably spoke to Moses in evil ways. And God heard that. But also God heard them speak in their own homes, in their own tents, 
families and elders of the people getting together. When they spoke against God, he heard them. Even the thoughts of their heart against God, he knew, he knew those thoughts. But the people resented God. They complained about him. They were angry at him. They were angry that he took them out of the land of slavery and now brought them into the wilderness where they had to learn to trust in him every day for every need. They were discouraged. And so in this discouragement and resentment against God and in their complaining, God sent fiery serpents and they bit the people and the people were dying. And so they come to Moses and they ask him to pray for them. Now, normally, Moses, when he prayed for the people, he did it out of his own will. But now the people are begging him to pray for them. They know that they are a people of sin and there is God. And they need someone to stand in the middle, to be an intercessor, someone who can bring peace between the sinful people and Almighty God. And so Moses does exactly that. He intercedes for them. He prays for them. God hears his prayer and God answers. Now the people wanted God to simply take those snakes away, but God didn't do that. God could have simply sent the snakes away, but instead he painted a picture of Jesus. God paints a wonderful picture of Jesus and the salvation that comes only through him. So in this sermon titled, Look and Live, we're going to make three observations concerning the salvation of God, the salvation he provided in Numbers, and also the salvation he provides to us today through Jesus. And in this story in Numbers, this story will teach us three things about salvation. We will learn, number one, its source. Number two, its simplicity. And number three, its substance. So let's begin the message today by looking at number one, its source, the source of salvation. Let's look again at Numbers 28, the first part of verse 8. I'm sorry, Numbers 21, the first part of verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. There were many kinds of venomous snakes in Egypt, not only in this time, but also today. There are many kinds of snakes, and even today, these snakes of Egypt, they kill tens of thousands of people every year. They're deadly. Pit vipers and cobras, venomous snakes of the, of the wilderness, of the desert areas. And now Israel living in Egypt, I'm sure they learned from Egypt, who had many beliefs about snakes, and tried to put together many remedies to heal a person who was bitten by snakes, I'm sure Israel learned about all those beliefs and learned about all those remedies. And perhaps they tried to make those remedies for themselves as they're being bitten in our story here. But there is no answer to this problem. There's no remedy. And people are dying. Many people are already dead and they continue to die as they're being bitten. And so God comes to Moses and says, make yourself a serpent and raise it up on a pole. Who would have thought that would be the answer to the problem? Which one of the Israelites would have ever thought of that being the remedy 
to healing themselves and surviving such a venomous snake bite. Once again, God, when he tells the people what to do, it always seems to be the last thing on people's minds. It's, it's something that no man would ever think of doing. Like in our story of Noah in the ark, God's going to destroy the earth. So he says to Noah, make yourself an ark. And then I'm going to send all the animals to you and you're going to put them all on the ark. Or Passover, when every firstborn is going to die, God says, take for yourself a lamb. And now here, as people are dying by the bites of these snakes, he says, make a fiery serpent. Once again, the design, in order to save the people, the design of that salvation, it's all from God. Nobody thought of these things. Noah didn't think of the ark. Moses didn't think of the lamb. The people didn't think of setting up a fiery serpent made out of bronze. This was God's idea. It originated from him. He was the source. In the same way, this remedy did not come from man's thought or design. So the source of salvation for us today, it does not, it has not come from man. It's all from God. Now, if it were left, left up to man to save themselves, what do you suppose man would do? When it comes to salvation, what do you think man would think of in order to be saved? They would probably come up with a set of rules that they would call holy rules. And they would live by them, at least in front of people. And by doing those things, they would earn salvation. They would probably depend heavily on a prayer life. And not just prayer, but systematic prayer. At certain hours, of certain days, of certain weeks of the year. And if they follow those prayer requirements, then they'll be saved. Be good to people. Be nice, they would say. Or as we say today, be kind. That's a very popular phrase today. Be kind. That's a nice thought. And perhaps they think if, if they're kind, to what standard of kindness? We don't know. But if you're kind, then you will earn salvation. They would probably offer gifts just to keep themselves in a, in a good standing with God. And they could offer all kinds of gifts. They could offer monetary offerings, food offerings, incense offerings. Just do it. And do it consistently, and you'll be saved. Man would probably get the idea, eventually, that all of his efforts weren't enough. And so man would need the help of heavenly beings, whether they're called saints, angels, holy mother. And so then good works, plus the gifts that are given, plus the favors received from these heavenly beings, then they will be saved. This is what's called religion. And every religion in the world contains many of the things I just mentioned. Religion, 
Religion is man's way, man's design. How to go from here to there. How to go from earth to heaven. How to one day be with the God of creation. Religion is, is man's way of working himself in such a way, good deeds, whatever he does, to go from here and ascend into heaven to be with God. That's religion. And this is at the, the foundation, at the groundworking of every religion on earth. It's all man's design, how they can ascend into heaven. But the salvation in Christ, the center of Christianity, does not work from bottom up. Instead, it works from the top down. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 13, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man. So Jesus, in this first phrase, no one has ascended to heaven, he puts to rest all of man's ideas and thoughts that we can somehow work our way to ascend to heaven. Jesus says, wrong. You cannot do it. It's never been done, for, been done before. It'll never be done in the future. No man, by his good deeds, by his works, whatever he offers, no man has ascended into heaven. And that's according to Jesus. And in this phrase, Jesus also reveals to us not only the, uh, the fact that we cannot go to heaven on our own, but look what, else he, look what also he says. The source of salvation, it goes against every religion in the world. And what he says goes against every human thought and idea about how this works. According to Jesus, the source of salvation doesn't begin here. It doesn't begin in our mind or in our hearts. The source is from God. The source is a heavenly source. He says, no one has ascended into heaven. Then he says, but he who came down from heaven. He's speaking about himself. So Jesus came down from heaven. He rose from the dead after he was crucified on the cross, and then he ascended back into heaven, thus providing us the way to heaven. But in doing all of this, Jesus, he doesn't allow faith, Christianity, to mix together with religion. With Christianity, there's no room for the belief that somehow I can work my way up. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that God came down. He came down to us. He was crucified for us, buried, and rose from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven. And when he ascended, he provided the way for us. He didn't just provide the way to heaven, but in dying for us, he provided himself as the way. So for us to go from here to there has nothing to do with religion, has nothing to do with what I'm able to perform in this life. 
It has nothing to do re with religion. It has everything to do with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you consider what Jesus has done coming into this world and giving his life for us and looking at what God did for the Israelites in the desert, healing them by having Moses raise up this pole with a snake. How gracious is God? How loving and compassionate and merciful is He? Grace. This is how we are saved. By God's grace. Freely given to all who will believe. It's not about our works. We don't earn our salvation. It is the graciousness of God. Salvation's source is God. And so we should look at salvation and God's plan of salvation and say with the psalmist in Psalm 118 verse 23, the psalmist says in regards to salvation, he says, this was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Amen. Salvation is the Lord's doing. He is the source. And just as the source of healing for the people in the book of Numbers. That source was God. In the same way, salvation in Jesus Christ. The source is God. Number two, speaking of salvation, let's look at its simplicity. Numbers chapter 21, now the second part of verse 8. God says, And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, that bronze serpent on the pole, when he looks at it, shall live. That's it? They might ask, you mean if I'm bitten and I have this fiery, deadly venom flowing through my veins, all I must do is look up and see that serpent on a pole and I shall live? It's exactly what God said. And look what Jesus says in John chapter 3. Verse 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's Jesus that shows us this wonderful parallel between that serpent being lifted up on a pole and Jesus being lifted up on a cross for us. It's Jesus that points back to that story, points back to that picture, and says, And as Moses lifted up that serpent, even so must I be lifted up, meaning his crucifixion. So Jesus points to this exact picture of what he will provide to all people. Now it's true. The source of the serpent on the pole was from God. But it was the hands of man. It was the hands of Moses that crafted that serpent and put it on a pole. And then it was the hands of man that raised it up for all to see. Likewise, the source of salvation in Christ is from God. But it was the hands of man that crafted his wooden, rugged cross. And it was man's hands that nailed the hands of Jesus and his feet to that cross. 
And then it was the hands of man that would raise him up for all to see. It was so simple in numbers. And consider this simplicity. If a person was bitten by a snake, they don't have to die. They don't have to die what was probably a horrible death. They don't have to perish. If they will just by faith believe what God said, and by faith lift up their eyes and look upon that serpent that was raised up, if they do that, they shall live. Nothing else. Lift up your eyes and look upon it and you will live. How simple is that? And we see the same with the cross of Jesus Christ. For all those who will by faith believe what God has said about Christ and his cross, and by faith, if man will just lift up his eyes and look upon him, the one who was crucified for us, then we also shall be saved. That's what happened to the people in Numbers. And that's what Jesus promises us in John chapter 3. The simplicity of salvation. It almost feels ignorant for me to say that. It almost feels belittling for me to say the simplicity of salvation. Is it really that simple? Salvation? Because, I mean, we're talking about sinners, enemies of God, which is how the Bible describes us, helpless in ourselves, rebels against righteousness, disobedient. Of course, we're not in trouble of fiery serpents, but something much, much worse. We're in trouble of the fiery judgment of hell. We're talking about this kind of person, this sinner, going from the sentence of death to the certainty of eternal life. And for that to happen, it must take more, right? There must be more to it. It must be more than a faithful look upon Christ. Surely there must be something else we've got to do, something else we must pay, something else we must practice every day, all day, and every year. No, there isn't. Jesus, he took all the must-dos. He took them all upon himself, and he did it. Through his perfect life, through his perfect sacrifice, through his resurrection and ascension into heaven, all the must-dos he took upon himself and finished everything. Listen to what he says. Even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up. All the must doings He did for us by dying on the cross. Now, don't get me wrong. The accomplishment of our salvation, the accomplishment of it, that was not simple. Think for a moment of creation. The Bible tells us that God created all the world the earth and every living being, every molecule, every atom of every molecule, he created all things. And not only the earth, but look outside the earth, all the starry host of the heavens, 
all the universe and all the laws that govern the universe today. God did all of that by simply speaking into nothing. God spoke and it was so. Sounds simple enough. In fact, the all of creation, the whole story, is told to us in one chapter of the Bible. That was simple for God. But when it comes to salvation, the cost of salvation was a, a such a, a greater price, a price of infinite worth. Creation took the word of God. Salvation took the precious blood of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus took care of all the must-dos. And He has left us the simplicity of looking upon Him and being saved. And this truth that we find in Numbers, to look upon Him or to look upon what He has provided and to be saved, that truth in Numbers it echoes and it rings throughout the Old Testament. Like in Isaiah chapter 45, Isaiah the prophet, God says through him in Isaiah 45 verse 22, God says, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. God has said, look to me and be saved. Wherever you're watching me from today, or wherever you are listening to me from today, wherever you are in every corner of the earth, God says, look to me and be saved. Now, there's something I used to have a problem with this story. Not the story in Numbers exactly, but the fact that Jesus likens himself to that serpent lifted up. I had a problem with it, and maybe you can relate to this. My problem was that in the Bible, serpents are often used to describe evil, wickedness. In fact, Satan is described as the great serpent of old. And so I always had a problem with Jesus comparing himself, likening himself to that serpent that was lifted up. And I always wondered why that was and tried to make sense of it. Well, we can make sense of it. But in order to do that, you have to keep it in the context of the original story in Numbers. Think of it. When Moses raised up that serpent on a pole, that serpent represented the very thing that was killing the people. It represented that curse that was killing the people. They were filled with sin and judgment came. The curse was upon them. And when that serpent was lifted up, it was like the curse that was killing them was lifted up, and that's what they saw on that pole. Well, now it makes perfect sense. Because in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We were cursed because we are lawbreakers. We have all sinned, and we have the curse of sin, which brings forth death. But when Jesus went to the cross and they lifted him up, he became our curse. The very thing that was killing us. The Bible says that he became sin for us. 
the very thing that was destroying our lives, the curse of sin. That's what He became on the cross. And when He died, He put to death the power of that curse in our life. Praise the Lord. God said, everyone who looks at it shall live. It wasn't about turning over a new leaf. You know, we have that saying today. In other words, I'm going to change my habits. Tomorrow, I'm going to act better. God, I'm going to stop complaining. I'll stop groaning. I'll be better tomorrow. And maybe then I'll be saved. No. God said, look. Look up. Look up to that serpent. Look upon my son and be saved. And today, we are saved. Not in our working, but in our looking upon Christ. Amen. So again, point number one, we see the source of salvation. Point number two, we see the simplicity of salvation. Look upon Jesus. And number three, let's now take a look at the substance. It's substance, the, sub the substance of salvation. Numbers 21, verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent, and he put it on a pole. And so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Just as God promised, just as God said, when somebody was bitten, they lifted their eyes, they looked at the serpent, and they lived. In this story, there was substance to their healing. A, a real, tangible sign of their healing. In that, when they looked, they lived. Anybody who was bitten with that fire flowing through their veins, when they looked at that raised serpent, they lived. They were completely whole. No more pain, no more fire. They were healed inside and out. They were saved and they lived. Now, if you were living back then among Israel and you knew someone who had been bitten by one of these serpents, and then you were told that that person looked at the bronze serpent and then you went to go pay them a visit. And when you walked into their tent and saw them, you found out that they were still dying, still in pain and agony. Would you have believed that they actually looked at the pole? Of course not. If they did, they would have been healed. God provided the substance of their faith, the substance that they truly were saved, in that they were healed. They were alive and completely changed from the inside out. If somebody said, I looked at the pole and yet they're still dying, they're still sick with the venom, you wouldn't believe them. You wouldn't believe that they looked at the pole. Well, in the same way, there is a substance to our salvation. Something, in fact, many things that can be seen, tangible evidence that we have looked upon Christ. It's not just an idea. It's not just a thought in our minds or a, 
or a, a nice thing to think about in our hearts? No. When we truly look upon Christ in faith, there is substance to it. There is evidence that we have looked. And what is that evidence? What is that substance of salvation? Well, think of your own self. Think of your life. This may depend on how long you have been saved. But are you the same person you once were? Before you met Jesus, are you the same today as you were then? Are you walking in the same way today that you did then? Do you talk the same way? Do you use the same kinds of words? Do you have the same sort of thoughts that you did then? Or is a change happening in you? Has something, something happened to you which, call, which the Bible calls the new man? The old man has been cast off and the new man has been put on. Has that happened to you? Jesus said you will know them by their fruits, about what grows out of their life. Is there fruit growing in your life? Tangible things that others can see and hear and taste in your life? Are you doing the same things today that you once did before you were saved? I hope you see that God is doing a wonderful thing in your life. If you have truly looked upon Christ in faith, then God promises to not only seal you with His Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you in righteousness. And the Holy Spirit will help convict your heart when you make a mistake. Many times people think that if a Christian is repenting, even after 15 years of being saved, then that must mean maybe they're not a Christian, they're still filled with sin. No, repentance is a sign that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is constantly bringing me and my sin to Christ to be forgiven. Repentance is a big part, a major part of the Christian life. It's when we acknowledge our sin and confess it before God and ask Him for forgiveness and believe that we are forgiven in Jesus. Is your life filled with repentance? Is your life filled with a desire for righteousness and a desire for Jesus? In my own experience in walking with Jesus, I have found that my life isn't just about knowing that I am saved, but there is now in me a passionate desire to be more like Jesus. And the more I read about Him in Scripture, the more I want to be like Him. And the more I want to be like Him, the more I am reminded every day how much I need Him, how far short I still fall from Him. And I need Him every day. His daily cleansing in my life and His daily washing in my life. The substance of salvation. It's not just something we talk about or think about. It's something that we show. We show in our obedience to God. We show in our desire to be more like Him and to know Him. So is that desire in you? Do you see a change in your life since the day you began? Have you noticed that God has done what He has promised when He says, I have made a new creation in you? Are you a new creation? 
That is the substance of salvation. And in conclusion, let me just close with this one thought. Religion and grace. These two things have nothing to do with each other. You can't have both in your life. You will either be religious, depending on your religion to be saved, or you will trust in the grace of God and know that it's only through Him you are saved. Not, by, not about what you do or how you behave. It's about faith in Christ. That's how we're saved. And you can't mix these two together. They won't. You'll either be religious or trusting in His grace. And in the Bible, we find out that several centuries after this story in Numbers, this bronze serpent still existed. They evidently carried it with them all the way into the Promised Land and kept it. And it became an object of worship. And when King Hezekiah became king over Judah, he went throughout all the land and he began to break down the, the pillars of worship and the idols of worship and the altars of worship to false gods and to idols. And listen to what it says in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4. Speaking of Hezekiah, he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. So over the centuries, what became or what was created as a symbol of the grace of God, healing and salvation just by one look of faith, it became a religious activity. As Hezekiah was breaking down altars and, and, and idols made to false gods and all the religious things people were doing, he began to break down that religious system. Included in all that was to smash that bronze serpent in pieces. Now remember, that bronze serpent was only a picture of Jesus. It was only a picture. When Jesus came, he was the fullness of what all that story stood for. But they were worshiping it and burning incense to it. It became a religious activity. And they forgot about the grace of God in that bronze serpent. How do I know that? Well, it says that they called it Nehushtan. And that simply means the bronze thing. They didn't even know what it was anymore. It was just a bronze thing that's been with us for centuries. And we burn incense to it because that's what our ancestors taught us to do. And we do it so that we stay in a good place with God. It became religion. And God will not have religion mixing with grace. And so the answer to it was to smash that religion and to break it into pieces so that the people will know, so that we will know today, we are saved by the grace of God, not by our works, lest any man should boast. Religion does not save. It is the grace of God when we, by faith, look to Jesus. And so all of you that are listening and watching me today, we have all been bitten by the, the curse of sin. We've all been bitten. We've all had that curse, that 
fire in our veins flowing through. And without God, we are perishing. And one day we will go to an eternal fire in hell. But Jesus says, look upon me. He was lifted up for us. And Jesus simply says by faith, look upon me and you will be saved. And so for all of you that are listening to me, have you looked upon Jesus? Have you lifted your eyes and in faith looked to Jesus? He is the only way we can be saved. And I encourage you today, lift your eyes in faith. Look upon him. Just one look and you will be saved. Let's pray. God, thank you for, again, another beautiful picture of Jesus and the beautiful work that he accomplished for us. Thank you, Jesus, that the words you cried from the cross, those words were, it is finished. All the work that needed to be done was done by you. Thank you, Jesus, for the price that you paid for us, that infinite cost and value of your blood. Thank you for what you have done so that we, as simple as it may seem, as simple as it is, we look upon you in faith and believe in what you have done for us. And by that look of faith, we are saved. So Lord, I pray for all those today Sinners who may be listening to me today, I pray that they will lift their eyes and see you and put their faith and trust in you. And they will be saved. They will have eternal life. And I also pray for every Christian that is listening to me today. Remind us, God, day by day to keep looking up to you, to keep our eyes on you and not to depend on religious activity, to not depend on our own works, but keep relying on your wonderful, precious grace in our life. God, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord, for the simplicity of salvation. We have looked, and praise God, we shall live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Look and live. May God bless you and keep you. May God shine his face upon you and take care of you and keep you healthy, strong, and protected. And may you have peace and grace from God to you. Until next time in our portrait series, amen, and I'll see you again. Praise the Lord.